to the season two of the Design Mad Brew podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Laura. I'm Nefeli. And we're here to explore the intersection between science, technology, and society. So grab your drink of choice and let's dive in. Hello, everyone. So today, in this episode of Design Mad Brew, we're going to discuss one of the biggest projects that Design Lab has taken on in the past year. It's called the Ararite Scale, and uh, we will discuss more specifically about a smaller team that took on digitalizing a serious game. You mention a smaller team as if it's something else, but you are part of that smaller team, aren't you, Natalie? Yes, I was uh, leading this team, <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't know, it was one of the most most uh, enjoyable, stressful and uh, beautiful things I've done all year. As, as I said, it was part of a very, very big project that's called uh, RRI to Scale. Um, oh, I shouldn't forget to mention that today we have Gemma on in this discussion and you might recognize her voice from the previous podcast episode that we had. Gemma is actually now going to be part of the podcast team, one of our Brunalists. And yeah, she's just going to join in on this discussion. Uh, and yeah, I worked a little bit on this project as well in a, a later iteration. And um, having worked with Nefeli a little bit now also on the podcast. Get, get your revenge, Gemma. <laughs> um, we had our own, I think, components. And uh, yeah. So where were we? We were talking about um, RI to scale. You, you mentioned that uh, the SES is part of RI to scale. Maybe it's nice to break down these acronyms for our listeners. So RI to scale is uh, basically a project uh, from, uh, from the European Union, uh, and it's called Responsible Research and Innovation. It's trying to bring uh, responsible research and innovation uh, into regions, into smaller regions, and make it more specific to them. So basically to try and help regions of the European Union to apply principles of responsible research and innovation. Within the context of uh, RRI to scale, uh, we had to apply the SES to this, the four regions that are participating as a pilot. So uh, SES is a serious game that was developed by by the JRC and so uh, Joint Research Center of the European Commission uh, and uh, it has been it is a well used well developed serious game it basically it's, it is called the scenario exploration system so what is happening is you take some future scenarios possible desirable or undesirable future scenarios for a specific topic and then you invite people to actually play through. You mentioned uh, a bit about some four regions that are involved. Wasn't it that you went kind of a little work holiday kind of trip to some of these regions just a few months ago? Yeah, yeah. We first uh, did the sessions of this game online and then we were invited from Vestland in Norway and uh, Galicia in Spain to do it physically. Uh, actually, the Overizel, that is the third region that was participating from the Netherlands, we did only physically because they, they were really near, close to us and by the time we did the sessions there were not so many rules, uh, corona rules around. And Krita, uh, we didn't, the, the corona 
Corona rules were not really easy for us to go there and do the sessions with it. So we ended up going to Norway and Spain. A little bit of a Euro trip. Huh? <laughs> oh, that, that was, I think that was for me the peak of the project, not only because, hey, we get to go to Norway and Spain, uh, but also because we got to meet the local people and our work got had such a more deep meaning of what we are doing because for a long time we were doing future scenarios like possible future scenarios for these people from far away from our offices in the Netherlands um I actually had a very nice discussion with uh, Bettina that was the other an official project lead uh, on this uh, on this team uh, and I'm saying an official because we never called her lead but she was as much as I was like um I'm guessing and Uh, we could uh, hear a little bit of her experience from Spain because she came with us to Spain. Oh, perfect. Let's tune into that. So I am here with uh, Bettina Markova. Uh, hello, Bettina. Can you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us, who are you? Hi, Nathalie. Thank you for uh, letting me be here with you today. I am a former gym teamer. I did uh, study in the University of Twente, obviously. <laughs> uh, I did my bachelor there, creative technology, and then I continued with the master of uh, this bachelor, which is the interaction technology master, which you uh, yeah. also are finishing now. <laughs> All of the cool kids. All of the cool kids. <laughs> yes. And on top of my master, I was uh, happy to join the dream team. Uh, and my last project with the, dream, with the dream team was actually the scenario exploration system, which we did together with you and a bunch of other dream teamers. I think <laughs> at some point it was like half of the dream team was on this project. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, this project now is wrapping up. <laughs> um, but... <clears throat> Yeah, now that I'm not anymore a student, I continued my career path as a product designer. So this is what I'm currently doing. Well, and I'm I'm sure you're excellent at it. Thank you. I I, I was thinking how to how to start with this because it's it was a very long project and it was a very cool project and there's so many moments that I wanted to discuss with you. Um Let's start, actually, let's start with the end and yes. uh, a little bit of our experience in uh, Spain, because at the very end of the project, we did some extra sessions in Spain mm -hmm. and in Norway that were physical, and uh, we got to travel there. Tell me a little bit, how, how was your, your Spain experience? It was such an amazing opportunity, and... I arrived at the, uh, in the city and I was thinking how great it is, how beautiful it is. And it gave me more of a sense uh, to the people who live there. It, it's a, a little bit of a connection to them. And uh, yes, then we, we met all the participants uh, who were previously online. We met them in person. Not all of them, but some of them. And um, it was different. It was definitely different than the online sessions. It felt more personal and also more fruitful. I feel like that um, we also um, had the opportunity to loosen up a little bit more, uh, as well as the participants. And this is always a good thing, right? In a, uh, When you want to spark a discussion. 
we literally could move about the space and not being like in a small rectangle (laughs) screen that was like I I felt also with I don't know Mediterranean jeans I felt like my movement was constrained I was literally constrained on the online sessions but also I feel I agree with you the the it felt differently and it felt so much faster. I felt like if somebody had thrown us in a room with these people in the beginning of the project for like two hours, all of the work that we did in order to build this tool, in order to make this customization to the SES tool, would have been so much faster and so much more efficient and like snappy. Yeah, very. it would have been very smooth and... Uh... Yeah, I totally agree with you. We also saw that in Norway that like the people that we met were so much more personal and human and it it was like it was a blessing. It was such a blessing to be able to to meet them in person. But you know, we were also like kind of um getting used to this online situation uh because it was like the beginning Okay, it's, it was not the beginning of the pandemic, but still. Uh, it was in the middle, of, dead set in the middle of the pandemic. Um, in the middle of the well, pandemic, yeah. So it, it was like the most, the most fun bit, obviously. And we, Santiago de Compostela was fantastic, um, as were the people there. Um, but let's uh, maybe for the benefit of the listeners as well, let's take an, a, a step to the very beginning and say a little bit about what this project was about <laughs> and how it how it ended <laughs> up to that kind of peak that obviously for us it was the biggest peak of the project. But let's take it, let's go all the way back to the start. It was 2021, it was January, and we both got into this shift, this online shift in Design Lab to work on the SES tool. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember very well how that started, but I, tell me what, what you remember from that. How was that uh, experience? I, I joined in, in February, and uh, I remember you mentioned uh, this project in this lunch meeting that we were having yes. with the whole Dream team, and I was like, hmm, this sounds interesting. Let's Let's try it out. And in the beginning, it was just like, oh, yeah, make this a serious game online in this platform, which was called uh, Tabletopia. And <laughs> that didn't bode well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it took a turn. <laughs> Basically, the SES game um, is a serious game, and it says, and it's called... It, it, the title is a scenario exploration system. And that's basically because somebody has some scenarios for the future based on the topic, and you call six people to explore them as the actors inside the scenarios. It's like a role-playing game, a little bit like Dungeons and Dragons, um, but it's about policy and budgets and uh, serious stuff, very, very serious stuff. Um, so what we were told in the beginning is that we need to take this tool and make it online yeah it was not it was not that no. simple no. <laughs> it was I, not I think just... we over we 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 dove into the game and read a lot about it and then we got into this um super fancy automated board game tool and then tried to go mm-hmm. ham on the technology and I feel like we were not 100% sure about our goal at that point. It was a bit vague of a project Mm -hmm. in the very, very beginning. 
a lot of the parts were not uh, finished yet. Uh, so we were just exploring the possibilities of making it online, of having it online. Is it even feasible? So this was the first step of, uh, of the process to <clears throat> explore all the possibilities, how we can make it in the best possible way so that we can have a good, fruitful discussion. And um, yeah. And then we, um, we were basically trying to align all of these moving parts. And I think around the summer, we got our first testing with real people, which went one of many ways. <laughs> yes. So for me, the most difficult uh, part back then, and I think you would agree with me, was shaping the scenarios and also structuring the scenarios into three uh, Time uh, time frames. We were given a, uh, we were given this document with information about um, the possible futures. How was it called? The technomoral scenarios. Yes, one hundred and twenty exactly. pages scenarios. of technomoral scenarios. So yeah, so we took this one hundred and twenty pages, and we needed to make a, a paragraph of six points <laughs> out of it. <laughs> Uh, so this was this was challenging definitely. and it was also ever changing i think that if we were to play it again we would have changed the scenarios again so i feel like our smartest decision was to not exactly do what the brief said so basically they said make we have these three um pillars uh smart cities smart uh energy and smart uh transportation. transportation and we realized that we cannot make four four regions times three pillars 12 different games or 12 different scenarios so we went with this mega version that we then started customizing choosing and picking and trying to make it more um specific in that way like trying to first have all of the options available from this 120 pages and then trying to pick and choose and customize based on these available points Wow, that sounds like a lot of challenges in the beginning with the whole situation. Like you had the pandemic and you didn't really know yet how to incorporate the digital elements of SES. And then you had to like do your first session. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you have to understand this was a black box. We were just told that we need to digital di digitalize uh, a game. And we were very happy about that before <laughs> we realized how complicated it would be. There is certain aspects of a physical game that or a physical session that translate in a very different way in a digital environment mainly because your field of view uh, in, a, in a physical table can really see and interact with many elements and you can hold things in your hands and you can you know read and write at the same time while we found that online it was completely different we had to manage the cognitive load of the people in a much more strict way and we had to make sure that everybody was focused on the exactly the correct thing so it was quite a bit of a struggle to uh, to manage not only to make sure that the flow is correct but also that the participants were uh, were properly uh, focused and ha had the possibility 
wanted to make a discussion, right? Because online only one person can talk at the time. So that was also completely different. Gemma, I don't know how much you already know about the project, but what is your like first impression when you heard about SCS? Like what what did you imagine it to be like? Uh, yeah, so with regards to SCS, um, we weren't really involved in that when I was working on the project, but I know just from other research, we've talked about um, uh, where gaming is being used in conjunction with robotics or just with um, with rehabilitation. So it's used as a way to uh, model like an action that you want to replicate to help you rehabilitate maybe mobility or um, to get a scenario that you might not be familiar with, but to kind of make it even more realistic so that you even have a better impression and maybe can give better feedback, for example, or in this case, user feedback. Um, so I think that's why it was interesting when I joined the group, we were trying to get a lot of background data that they could use for each of the regions um, and why I think it's interesting that now they're going to apply it or that it helped to uh, bolster the SES um, gaming experience. Well, also, uh, if, I, if, I rem- sorry, if I remember correctly, Gemma, you were a part of RRI to scale, but in a different team. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think that you, you were part of uh, the pre-work team. So you laid, your team laid the groundwork for our team to come in and create these scenarios. And I believe it was also a lot of information chaos that you had to deal with. And I wanted to thank your team so much because without your work, uh, we, would, we would have gotten insane from all of the data around. I think it's so unique with the Design Lab uh, Dream Team environment that you have so many people from so many different uh, backgrounds and also uh, very different skill sets. So you have this sort of team that has all these perspectives that they can lean into in different projects to help things um, run a bit more smoothly, especially with such an international project of this scale. To have that sort of personal connection is like super invaluable but also there are other things that you there's another wealth in the dream team that is people from different countries and from so we had representatives of almost all of these countries in the team at some point at one point or another so uh, the netherlands i mean obviously we are in Enschede, we had dutch people around but we had cian uh, as a uh, spanish slash galician we had me as nobody from norway though that was a um, that that was my only <laughs> the only thing we missed yeah and it, it was it was extremely helpful i think that next to meeting the people from the region and being in the region yourself the next best thing that we had was somebody from there in the team and just to, to give a little bit of the scale of this project Project, we are talking only about, and I called it a small team. We were from, we range from two to seven people uh, in this team. Um, at some point, about half of the Dream Team worked for RRI to scale in one point or another. It was uh, quite uh, inc- all encompassing. <laughs> I think that even you, Carithea, worked at some point. You did some murals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did part of the online aspects. I was going to ask you about that, actually, just how this project started really casually in the beginning and the focus that you had to have on it with digitalization, just how that experience was for you. And then in the end, for it to become such a big like ordeal, sort of, maybe not ordeal, but such a big, big project. It was a big challenge. I, I think that we embraced it very well. And I, uh, actually talking about Xi'an, uh, I think that 
in the next clip, uh, you will hear about how our team um, got uh, got bigger. So from two, we went to three, we went to seven. <laughs> we had the great luck to have people that worked extremely well together. Uh, this challenge, as as the challenge grew and it became more the team also grew to, and not only as numbers of people but also as qualities that we learned and we worked as very 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 closely and we worked as one and that, that was something that i'm purely proud of in this thing it's not something that i have seen in many projects you have a lot to be proud of with this uh, ses uh, project i thought this might be a little bit fun i don't know if this is kind of our side request for the listeners at home if we could do like a miniature teeny weeny version of an SES role play, because we talked a lot about, okay, this is the first session. There was all this information behind it, but maybe we can just like dive into it just a, a little bit. Uh, well, as we said, uh, uh, SES is an RPG game, so it's a role playing game. So each of us will have to take a role and I will be the storyteller because we need one of those. If we situated, if the theme of, uh, the session that we're having, we're going to have it with uh, two uh, participants this time. And if the theme is, for example, Design Lab, then maybe one person can represent a, an explorer that is exploring the future of Design Lab. That uh, would be maybe you, Kari. Uh, you can be Miriam, uh, our manager. <laughs> you have to be somebody who has agency, somebody who can make decisions. For design, uh, I, I would like to have actually a second explorer. Let's say that uh, Gemma, you can be. What is something that is external to design lab that would be good? So a policymaker. So you, Kari, uh, is representing uh, representing academia, and uh, Gemma can represent policy. Uh, but we also have usually business and civil society organizations. This is you know to represent the quadruple helix. I would be the scenarios. So I'm presenting you the first time horizon that would be uh, between now and maybe in three years from now, 2022 to 2025, where things are happening for the future of Design Lab. Let me introduce a future. Well, the pandemic is coming to a close, so the, the lab is open again and the vibrant new community is built. Of course, this is not uh, without hiccups uh, because since the, since the pandemic has ended, a lot of students have chosen to uh, do some of their classes online and to work from uh, their homes instead of coming to Enchede. So the way that people participate is changing. So you will need to adapt to a hybrid uh, situation. And at the same time, there is a big ecological concern within, uh, within the area. Uh, at the same time, the energy prices have gone quite up due to the oil crisis and other things that are happening in the world currently. So you will have to also face a budget adjustment for all of the very energy intensive machines that are running in Design Lab. Uh, so let's say that these are the two main points and you are called to reach the goals that you're having as Design Lab and also as a, the representative of the region uh, in this time horizon. Usually you would have a set of cards and also the ability to write your own card. But now I will ask you to improvise and to tell me what would you do to reach your goals in this time horizon? As Miriam from Design Lab, I would have to think about my um, own supervisor. So 
the connection to the university and see what their plan is because the design lab has to sort of work hand in hand with what the university is and their vision and into that direction. So I'd see what they have there and see how that affects my boundaries. But first and foremost, thinking about really giving the opportunities to students who are able to come to have that uh, workshop space to work in is like the biggest goal. So maybe start cutting back with the heating, cutting back with the, the lighting, but making the workshop spaces more available. Great. So you're going to do a budget adjustment? In- yeah. Great. And Gemma, what about you? I think I would... Well, I think the easiest way would yeah be making more policies because I think that that's shown um, that at the higher up locations where people have control over litigation, that is where there's a trickle down effect. Um, And it's more about then enforcing it afterwards that uh, becomes a little bit tricky because there are also people try to get around rules and loopholes. But I would try to make something that was like a fair law that uh, accounted for everybody's needs and wants uh, and compromises. And although this seems like a very ideal world, but um, <laughs> perhaps, uh, yeah, not sure. Yeah, it's, it's hard to like empathize a bit with that situation because it's like your hands are tied. And this is one thing that people turn to us and say, especially when the, the roles are mixed, because you can't play this game and play your own role, like if you're a policymaker, to be a policymaker. But the moment we switch roles around, uh, we heard a lot of people turning around and saying, being a policymaker is hard. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the most common uh, comments we get. Hey guys, I have to head out, but thank you so much for this uh, really fun interview and Nefeli, good luck with your future endeavors and I'll hear you back on the brewcast hopefully soon and Kari, until next time. I'm really happy that we got in the last moment that yeah. play though. Because I th- I, at least for me, I feel like it's important. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's also a great idea. I really, I really like it as an idea because it, it shows you, it, it, is, it is a glimpse into the game. And of course, we said it is improvised. <laughs> we don't have any technological scenarios. We don't have anything, but it, it puts you basically what game, what this game is great. Of course, you can go to the SES uh, page, the Scenario Exploration System page of the JRC and see there exactly what, they, what you can do with this game. But what I feel is the most important thing is that it brings stakeholders to the same table and it opens up discussions about policies and budgets in a safe environment. I'm happy that this actually got to be played by people in powerful positions because it gives the chance for empathy to grow and for people to really understand, okay, yeah, this job is actually very difficult, but we have to kind of have a space for these sort of difficult discussions because otherwise we'll just end up having later on under time crunch, under stress, under people yelling at us. And it's better to just think about the future in a way that's a safe space and in a way that just illuminates certain conflicts or challenges that you never imagined or would have thought of on your own. Talking about conflicts, there, there, there is a way that this game facilitates conflicts in a very fun, very fun manner. There are some cards that can be very strategic and helpful 
because of course you determine the success of a of an action based on uh, the resources that you put in the action and the reaction of the public voice. So the public voice is the judgment the judge is all. And if they give you a lot of support, something good happens. If they give you no support, something bad happens. You either face outrage or you're being... And when people get these cards into their hands, these real-life cards that are strategic and they can move tokens around, they can move public support around, it's like you can throw a... a, a um, a financial scandal on somebody or you can throw i don't know doubling the public voice because you put a good word in a paper for them or something like that. really people are enticed to use them they want to use them but even if they do in the discussion afterwards we find out that there would be other ways around to actually do this in a in a collaborative way and it would have actually benefited both parties much more to not fight but to collaborate and especially when there is a round where somebody does not have a lot of support themselves so they didn't they didn't get a lot of support from the public voice or they failed on the action they wanted to do they just on the on the next round they have this kind of visceral human response of why should i be helping anybody nobody helped me and it is something that comes to everybody the moment that this happens that's the first response and it doesn't take them long to understand that it's it is not it's not a good idea to not collaborate <laughs> it's not a good game plan yeah, it's like a very short discussion for people to realize that People who are in power, people who do these things for a living, who make these decisions, the first gut response, it's a human thing, right? It's not out of inexperience or something. The first gut response is to save your own and to attack people that attacked you. And it takes a little bit of um, thinking and a little bit of change of perspective to realize, what am I doing? I can give, I can gain so much. And it worked out extremely well in all of this. So in this interview with Bettina, this is like the core team at this point is just two people, right? It's you kind of stumbled into this thing and then somewhere along the lines, you need some graphical elements incorporated. You need some sort of vision or not vision, sorry, visual to really put... Who needed somebody who does the UX? (laughs) Actually, the graphic design and help with the UX, we we all did the user experience, but we needed somebody to do the graphic design. That, That was so necessary. So then here comes in uh, Zian, and you guys talk a little bit about that in the next clip. Maybe we should play that? And we started working then uh, with uh, Xian, right? Oh my god, Xian was such a... I think that there was a lot of additions to the team, like every every time we, we, we had this team expanded and contracted and expanded again and contracted again. Um, but I feel like Sian was pivotal for the look and feel and for, you know, strong handing points into meetings. Yeah, I think I think why it worked so well, it's, it was because uh, how well we worked together as well. And um, yeah, I feel we were a dream team, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, it we uh, we were like pieces of puzzle which fits perfectly together. And and that happened. That uh, talk, talking about the team actually, because um, we were, we had gotten. I remember being really comfortable with the three of us, with uh, me, you, and Xian. Mm-hmm. Uh, he joined the thing after the summer. 
but we extremely quickly bonded together and started working like like one body but then the the team had to expand by a lot and we had to you know unite the avengers in a sense uh how how do you remember when we started the recruiting for the moderators i remember that when we started recruiting the moderators uh, i was already um out away i was um, online joining you guys and most of the most of the work you did on that uh, on that front but i think that the people that we recruited were really a good fit and they added a lot to to the ACS and to the final versions of it and to the final moderating um, style in a sense moderating style exactly the moderating yeah, it was style a, it was a bit of an interesting situation where we um basically had this little baby this sort of shaped sort of unshaped little thing that we put so many hours on and we had to basically give it on to somebody else to work with five people i think it was basically on the on the third test that we did that the six uh, other moderators joined and or was it five wait was Amy, Alex, Henrietta, and one came late, even later, so four other moderators. Uh, and it was basically on the third test that we did that we involved the, uh, the class from the University of Twente where they joined and they started being trained. And it was, to me, it was a very interesting experience to basically find these people that I can trust with this baby that we made and get them okay now you take this and you run it with your own style and come back and give us some feedback out of this black box that we will never see what happened in there it was it was an interesting thing as well yeah we kind of trusted them with uh, as you said with our child <laughs> yeah but i remember when you were recruiting the people you were seeing Oh, this participant, this not participant, but this potential moderator, they're so excited about it, so interested in it. And I think most like this is where we did good. Uh, we took people who were, ex- who were truly excited about, um, about learning more about ACS and being moderators because this is a, a quite a specific task, right? You need to be like open and, um, patient and spend four hours in a row uh, like spend four hours in a row with people that are expecting you to give them answers to any question that arises and Mm -hmm. a lot of improvisation yeah (laughs) I do remember that a couple of people that we invited were because of their improvisation skills like Amy and that added a lot we came to the point where we um needed to really really shape the scenarios and create the final versions and we had this idea to to localize not to localize but customize uh, each of the scenarios for each region there we we involved another team right the pre-work team they were doing the um, regional dilemmas they were doing the research on the di- regional dilemmas so they were part of the whole project obviously, but this was the point that we started collaborating with them. And then uh, once we had these regional dilemmas um, finished, we got to know more about the regions and what are their needs and what they are interested in. And then it came this 
we came to this point where at least I felt that I didn't have enough knowledge on sustainable energy or sustainable transportation. Like I didn't have enough technical solid knowledge in order to come up with a future. Uh, it's the point where um, we had to localize them and we found out that there is a lot of technical knowledge that could be helpful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this made it even more challenging to, <laughs> um, to make the scenarios and the transitions into the different time horizons more smooth. But then we had uh, the great work from the pre-work team and also yeah, Google. But also <laughs> there was this, um, we went through a couple of iterations of um, talking with regions and getting the, the the feedback from them, which I guess online was very very challenging. But of course it worked. Of course it worked. And then the last round of feedback that was before the physical session, that was physical, was so how can I say it so drastic to that we 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 went in and we were like, good. This thing is correct because like we we started reading with them in the, in the room. And it was like, this mm -hmm. is proper information. <laughs> this might not be so much, so let's change it. But this bit here, this bit here is good. Yeah, it was a lot of like going back and forth. And it seemed like it worked like a dream with Zian. But the last bit, I actually have a question for you about. You said that you changed topics a bit. I'm kind of curious, like, what was it that you started with as a topic? Like, if you could give, like, one region as an example and then how they wanted to change it. Okay, I will... Um, well, you have to understand that there's not one topic that we tackled here. Our Right to Scale has three pillars. Um, that is smart cities, smart energy, and smart transportation. And I think that uh, Bettina also mentioned at some point that we didn't have a lot of deep technical knowledge in any of these subjects. We, we're not engineers uh, where I take is. Um, and even if we had engineers to have deep knowledge on smart energy, smart cities, and smart transportation, that would take a team of, I don't know, five, 10 people. So we, we didn't. What we had was the dilemmas. Uh, we had the um, structure of the game that we understood deeply, and we were the experts on that. Um, and of course, we had reached out to the people who made it. We had done this kind of deep research in the very beginning. Um, but at that point, we had to choose what is the most important thing for each region. Because, of course, we couldn't have three times, four hours, uh, 12 hours of games being played on each region. That could be uh, ludicrous. Um, actually, the regions were trying to cheat us out of the four hours. They were trying to make it, oh, can we make it three? Can we make it two? Um, because of course they have very busy people. So we had to prioritize smart cities, smart energy, smart transportation, see which one of these three was the most important, uh, second most important, and then not as important. And that's what we did. We asked the regions, what is the most important thing for you? And then we had these um, technomodal scenarios that we took points for each of the pillars and we created this mega version so we could choose points depending on what is more, most important for the region. 
So, for example, in Spain, I think it was a energy cities and transportation, or energy transportation and cities. Mm. I don't remember 100%. Um, I could look it up, but let's say, for example, that the most important thing is energy, right? So we have six points for each time horizon that we will give on what is happening on the world, what is the most important things that are happening. Um, and we chose these bits based on what is the most important for them. So if the most important thing is energy and then transportation and then cities, then we would have three points from energy, two points from transportation and one point from cities. And usually it was like two to one because we had one point for, for the environment or the pandemic that was global for everybody. It's like a, a context that is unchangeable. Uh, and um, did this um, whole rating of which topic is more important make it easier for the participants from each region or did this cause them to have like some difficulties during the game? This was actually developed out of the difficulties that we had to understand um, all, all this, like this amount of information. We, we could have made one version out of each pillar, but we couldn't. So we needed to make a version about their general future that has to do with all three topics. And that is why we uh, allowed for this kind of localization slash customization. And we went through and made a one we made the version as we for, okay so first of all we asked them about what is the most important for you and they also gave us some extra points that maybe were not in the uh pre-work uh, because Gemma's team for example they made this pre-work beautifully but that was at the point that we played it was probably a year before the information that they got so there were some new points so they gave us all of this new information we customized the version, sent it to them and told them, hey, this is what we came up with. Is that good for you? They made some minor changes and then we played the first um, online session. And on the online session, they said, okay, that's a great pilot. Uh, we want it now physical. And we want it for more specific issues. So, for example, in Spain, they said, we want more energy. We want to, 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 to focus on the energy because we will invite people that are working for the energy um, a, uh, infrastructure of the region. Uh, we want to talk specifically about windmills. Or we want to talk specifically about hydrogen plants. And then we had to go back and do some research about, you know, hydrogen plants and windmills in order to make this the, the second version. So there really was like this back and forth between, okay, I'm giving you this thing that I think is complete and here, and then they give you all this feedback and then you're like, okay, now we really have to go back and dig a little deeper on this one topic because we had to generalize for just for the sake of the scope and not overwhelming people. So you have like this um, diverging, converging, diverging, like a uh, game dance sort of that's happening. And then in the end, you, you put this all together for the big physical meeting, the first meeting. No, it was it was. At some point, we start, I have to say, it was a bit frustrating in the beginning, obviously, because um, we're talking about a very big collaboration. We're talking about people from four different regions. Getting feedback from everybody was a little bit difficult. 
But we also learned what silence means. That sometimes in this kind of big big collaboration, silence does not mean that people don't care about the project. It doesn't mean that um, uh, people are ignoring you. But it might mean that there are just another hundred thousand things that are running at the same time. Because we're talking about regions, right? They have a lot of other things to do. And this is a very big European project, yeah, but they're also running, I don't know, um, I mean, I don't know exactly what regions they're running, but they're having a lot of other things. I'd like to imagine that this project was kind of a refuge for them, so a way for them to do something a little bit more fun and creative than the other projects that they have. While it is serious, it is seriousness in a way that's a little bit more pliable a little more free, there, more liberal. There is no better case than Norway, where in the beginning, of course, they couldn't understand what we're asking them because there were a lot of information. As I told you, we're condensing 120 pages worth of information. We tried to give them different presentation of what is SES and how we're going to play it. But of course, it is not a very easy thing to understand and have you know specific goals and go really deep into in, I don't know, five minutes worth of presentation. So um, until they trusted us enough with, you know, inviting their their stakeholders, that is quite important. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's also a process to get people from the regions who have businesses, um, uh, NGOs and other regulators, people who are making policy uh, and to tell them, okay, give them to us for four hours of their time. It will be moderated by a student. <laughs> but don't worry, we know what we're doing, you know. <laughs> so um, there was always this reluctancy, like, oh, we cannot do that. We don't know. Maybe let us see, let us discuss, bring in more people. Let this person listen to that. And we realized that we needed to give them something concrete. So we gave them taster sessions. And then something clicked and they trusted us and the moment they started trusting us everything went so much smooth and so much easy and uh, when of course the time came that the session is coming and it's like in three weeks it became much more high priority for people so we also got uh, a lot faster responses um it was it was a, a a dance as you said it was a dance and we had Maya. I, I have to also thank Maya because she was our supervisor and, of course, the project lead for this entire RRI to scale uh, project for Design Lab. And she very gracefully navigated us through everything and protected us from over information, <laughs> protected us from a lot. It was a great, a great. Also gave us a creative freedom. This whole experience sounds like, just outside of the whole technical aspect, it's it's really an opportunity for you to take a bit more agency and to how to explain it to get some more um, respect and experience uh, in your professional life after you finish being a student because here you are sitting at the table with these very um, big important people from very different countries and you have to really give on behalf of the design lab the perfect pitch about this game and why you're so passionate about it and in the end you get this 
really big um, amazing feeling of being respected and valued and people really understanding what you can bring to the table and I think that's great with the design lab that you can interact in these sort of situations that you don't normally have as a student where you have like these really in-depth projects and it's not only in the in-depth projects I guess that there is some some confidence and some um, self-understanding a little bit that Design Lab is giving to the students that participate as Dream Teamers. Um, because it is not everywhere that you find the kind of creative freedom in this kind of level, like in this kind of big project, that you, the students, we didn't feel like we're doing the shit work for the people who are doing the big things. And of course, we did have researchers who did things that we would not be able to do in this kind of time frame. Uh, like Anne, Dy Anne Dijkstra that did the technomoral scenarios and of course did an excellent job of uh, portraying uh, possible futures. Um, I have worked in uh, professionally before the Masters and I have to say that this level of um, feeling respected was not, is not something that you feel in many places. <laughs> So I think now we're talking about the good aspects that came out of the, the, the project. I know we talked about uh, some challenges and conflicts and like going back and forth between stakeholders. Oh, let's continue to listen a bit about with your interview with Bettina and see how the positive aspects unfolded. I feel like another very strong point of our team was that we reached out to a lot of experts and we did not feel awkward. We didn't hesitate to declare ourselves as noobs and ask for help. I don't know, do you remember, how, do you remember our first interaction with the creators of the game? As you have mentioned previously, super positive and encouraging us to try everything, try experimenting. And he, he said numerous times, you cannot go wrong with it. You cannot go it's wrong common with sense. it. Just, it's fine. Just try it out. And yeah, yeah, it's just common sense. And this was the very beginning for us. And we were very confused with, maybe confused is not the right word, but cautious. We were, yeah, we were a little bit scared to not break it. <laughs> Yeah, um, but once we got a little bit more comfortable with it, in a sense that we touched it there, here and there, and then it, at some point we were just like, oh yeah, we can change this, we can change that, oh, we can add this. Mm. This bit here, <laughs> we started changing mechanics, which in the beginning I, don't, I didn't think we would be able to do, but we didn't only change the scenarios, the, the content of the of the session we also changed the um, very the, the very mechanics of it like we started adding how points are distributed or how they are deducted or added and I, I also we also changed it physically like we changed the look and feel and i feel i feel like this was more of a of a result of the digitalization and then re-physicalization of the game the task was to make it digital, right? So obviously we needed to change a lot of things so that it looks good on the display and it's easier for the participants to, to move stuff around and to understand the purpose of it. So we added uh, these player areas. We completely changed the, the game board so that it fits in um, 
in the display. Exactly, yeah. And Xian did a great, great job. Yeah, I on think that. that he wanted to make it more like a workshop and to feel more like yeah. a workshop where we're having a discussion and less like a board game where somebody is winning in the end. And yeah, he, he did a great yeah. job on, on, on making this transition online. Yeah, well, at some point we were having this rule that we are not using game in, within SES, like SES is not a game. And we did this so that the participants would take it more seriously. Yeah, so they would basically um, treat it as a session and not as a game. And that, um, yeah. I think we didn't really, <laughs> it didn't really work too well. Because people had already started calling it a game and we, we did so much effort to call it a session when it failed. Yeah, but the point was that the redesign was also going towards this I think this the redesign worked even going... if people called it a game and that was the biggest win of that redesign. Yeah, exactly. It, it felt like a, a mural board. Um, and then we made it physical. We just printed and uh, <laughs> we had the digital version Which physically. <laughs> <laughs> also worked. It also made it feel more like a um, a collaboration platform. Basically, it made it feel a lot like that. Also, the new cards that were created, everything. I mean, of course, we're going to have some links uh, down below so people can see the murals and everything that has been created. But yeah, it was design choices were made for the game, and one of them was because of COVID. Right, we made the booklets. Yeah, the booklets indeed. Uh, the booklets uh, that contains uh, all the scenarios uh, with the scenarios cards inside them. So all of the heavy information bits. Yeah, I think that this also really helped in the physical session because while the moderator was presenting the new scenario horizon to the participants, they also had the text right in front of them and they were also even making notes, as you pointed out. So yeah, to keep it as much as possible COVID safe, we did these booklets and each participant had a booklet of their own. And I think that this added a lot to the yeah, a good addition that we had due to COVID were the booklets. And inside these booklets, we put the scenarios, the scenario cards, and also the more extensive description of what is happening during the so time of the horizon. heavy cognitive information were there. Yeah, also re yeah, written black and white. And I think this also added a lot uh, to the physical session because while the moderators were presenting the participants with the reality that they were living in, in uh, brackets, <laughs> uh, they also had the text in front of them and they could, they could read it while it was vocally presented to them. And they were also making notes inside the booklets. So I think that this helped them a lot to understand really in depth the, the content. Yeah, I remember people doing like little scribbles and uh, circling thing or underlining things. And then even when they presented their points, like the reasoning of how they're acting with this new walkie reality they're presented with, they would be, okay, so you see here, this is the point that I'm trying to address. And that point would be in the middle of a huge paragraph that had another 10 points, because of course it's... We're trying to describe the energy, transportation and city situation of, I don't know, Santiago de Compostela or the Galicia 
region in uh, in the future. So of course we had quite a bit of content in there. Yeah, a lot of content. <laughs> and each participant needed to play a role and they created their their role. So it's yeah, it's it's a lot of cognitive uh, cognitive effort. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think that we have covered all of the things we did in this project so so far, and all of the kind of efforts that we have put into. We have now given this uh, little project little. It is definitely not little. Uh, <laughs> we have we have given this project on, and it's being worked on by a new team in order to continue it and to keep it in Design Lab, uh, which I'm very happy about, and I'm I'm sure that you're happy to find to learn that as well. Is there yeah, anything definitely. else that you would like to add uh, about this whole experience about the entire the entire arc? I think the whole project added a lot a lot to us as well because there were so many different aspects of it first of all communicating with the stakeholders which was a very big part for you and digitalizing a serious game like working with working with serious gaming uh, concepts i think it was a very big learning opportunity and we were very lucky to have people in Design Lab like um, a Maya, we were we were trusted. We were given. We I at least I felt like they have trust in us, and that's whatever decision we we take, it's going to be accepted. Not only accepted, and, but uh, celebrated. Yeah, supported, yeah. supported as well. Yeah. Yes, the, this project was a huge learning opportunity for us. And we were given a lot of uh, creative freedom. And I felt like we are trusted a lot as well um, from the management team. And we were given the freedom to experiment with it. And every decision that we took was supported and uh, celebrated. It felt like it was a very long and very difficult process, but it also felt like whatever we needed, people would, you know, try and help us get it, whatever information, resources, everything that it's, it's basically the result of working in a student-led environment such as Design Lab, where people don't see your, your sort of label as a student and try to just give you the in lack of better words, the shit work, <laughs> the kind of tedious <laughs> collect data type of thing. But we were trusted as creative individuals and professionals, basically, to make something that did not exist before, something new, something interesting, and to give our own spin to it, to really change it. I, I have said the same thing a couple of times, but it, it is something that shocks me to this day that we were actually let to do that oh don't worry it's a very small project of i don't know a couple of million euros <laughs> from the eu to be run in four different regions <laughs> and to i know it's a huge collaboration we never had before in design love don't worry you, you're just responsible for one part of this project so go on do your thing yes we were trusted with quite uh some responsibility it was a responsible uh, part taking <laughs> yeah responsible futuring exactly <laughs> and i i think that also helped us feel the ownership that we felt to this project 
because I also do remember sending you a message on Thursday to meet on Friday <laughs> for a couple of hours and be like, yeah, sure, we don't really have a life, do we? It was during the pandemic. It was, it was during the <laughs> pandemic. And yeah, and, and that, that I understand. It was, I, I understand it was a, a prime time for overworking. <laughs> But also, I, I feel like it was the reason why I did it. And I, I think that the reason why you spent all of this amount of time in it as well was because of the amount of ownership that we felt. And that was led by actually being given ownership of the thing. We were not, we, we were not just minions. And I also in really enjoyed working that's, with that's you. The most. That's, uh, that's <laughs> true. I, I think that, I don't know, I feel like we need to work together at some point in time the communication was strong and that's what made it survive this whole transition in the pandemic that we had to just being fully digital and when you think about digitalization or like having a physical uh, meeting or interaction really they seem very different but they're two faces of the same coin because in the end it's about the experience it's about conveying the messages through this SES um, session, quotation mark game, <laughs> and <laughs> making um, people gain empathy for other people in different positions and really thinking about the future in a constructive way. And maybe as a closing, uh, we can uh, extend our warm thanks to everybody who has contributed. I hope that they remember most of the names because it will be impossible to remember them all. Uh, so first of all, our supervisor, Mayan Vandenberg, and the team from uh, uh, Design Lab that uh, helped us, like researchers and moderators from Design Lab that helped us with their expertise and uh, their feedback, uh, like Jul uh, Julieta Matos castano uh, Cristina Zaga, Carolina Laforge, Janine Svak, and I hope I'm pronouncing everything good. <laughs> Um, and of course, the rest of the Design Lab team, uh, the staff that uh, helped us so, so much. Um, of, uh, the team that we had ourselves, uh, of course, uh, Bettina Markova, Xian Bodelon Ruibal, uh, Alexandra Marey, Amy Delange, Henrietta Lucas, and Juan Wildenboer. I am so sorry, Juan. Um, and of course, the people from the pre-work team and other members of the dream team who participated in one way or another. Um, of course, the team who is now following the project up and they're continuing with creating different tools for uh, um, as well. Uh, and of course, the our collaborators from the four regions who have put a lot of time and effort into working with us and making this a worthwhile experience for their stakeholders. <laughs>